This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman and Superman-related comics. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 21. Justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. Now, a few months ago, I had a moment where I had to take a week off from the show, or I had to, back when I was still on the every other week schedule, I think I, I missed my publication week. And then when it was time to put out the episode that was already late, I had very little time. And so I put out a mini episode by talking about a book that was outside of my normal reading rotation that I nonetheless had a lot to talk about. And you guys seemed to enjoy that. And I floated the idea of doing this very thing for this episode on Twitter last night as I'm recording this. And you guys seemed to be very positive about it. So that's what we're going to do. For episode 21, we are going to talk about Justice Society of America number 13, with a release date of February 2008. And again, I have a lot of thoughts about this book, all of them good. Uh, But before that, as always, I have some other thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I don't have anything based specifically or directly on Superman for this series of thoughts, but it is tangentially related, and I hope you guys will forgive me. But I'm going to take two two separate things and I'm going to kind of mush them together for one whole complete thought, (laughs) I guess you could say. But two things happened in the relative past. Um, One of them was the reason why I was not able to get an episode out last week. Uh, My wife had to go out of town for a business trip and so I had to drive. It's uh, her flight left and came out of Orlando and we live a couple hours north of Orlando, so I had to drive to Orlando one day, and then uh, because the the kid is home with us for um, autoimmune reasons and and various things like that, I had to dedicate extra time to her because my wife wasn't around, and then I had to drive back to Orlando to get her a few days later, and uh, because my kid doesn't handle long car rides very well because of her other partial disabilities that relate to her autoimmune disorder. Um, she had to spend the night with her uh, grandparents, my in-laws, the night before, because I had to leave out at like 8 o'clock in the morning to get to Orlando to pick my wife up. And so for the first time in like seven years, I had the house completely to myself of an evening. And it was weird. <laughs> and uh, Patrick Zercher put out a tweet a little while ago that said, I don't know how people who aren't geeks do things, and I can completely relate. I, I have trouble sitting down to watch TV for any length of time, let alone by myself. When I do watch TV, it's with, it's with, my, with my wife and my kid, and it's as a social thing. 
by myself, I do not have the attention span, and I feel like I'm wasting you know time that I could be putting to more productive things. And I still managed to kind of sit around and read for a while, but a lot of it I just kind of got up and cleaned the house at like 8:30 at night because one, I you know one I felt like I wasn't being productive. I was I was very uh, antsy. And I wanted the house to look nice for when my wife got home. And, you know, it's not like I can just order out a pizza because I have a lot of dietary restrictions because I eat really, really healthy. And so, you know, I couldn't just order a pizza and watch the sports ball because I don't know how to do those things. And so it was weird. And a while ago, it might have been kind of fun to have the house to myself for that long time. Because um, I am kind of introverted. Um, my conversational skills are maybe not the best. I can monologue really well. <laughs> but I, maybe not back and forth conversation is not my best quality. And also because of my ADHD, I only have so much listen in me before my brain starts to feel itchy. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, a while ago, having complete silence for a few hours might have been kind of fun, but now I'm so accustomed to have my family around me all the time because not only is do we have to homeschool the kid because of COVID, but my wife works from home. And so I'm you know constantly around my family and that has become a, uh, become a comfortable part of my brain space. And so it was very weird not having them here. So let me put a pin in that and go back, go to the other story and then we'll loop back around to how they connect. So the second thing is uh, partly an announcement that I wanted to make is that I am now uh, collaborating with the uh, DailyPlanetDC.com, an online news magazine that is based on the Daily Planet from Superman Comics. And they put out actual news. It's very cool. Uh, uh, it's a nonprofit um, function, it, but it's, you should absolutely check it out. It's really neat. And a lot of people have put a ton of effort into this. And it's really worth your while. They cover, you know, news, politics, entertainment, the, you know, the whole gamut. And um, on their audio page, you will soon see a listing for my show in addition to a bunch of others like Aspiring Kryptonians and Digging for Krypton and, and a whole bunch of others. And it's, it's really cool. And uh, you should totally check it out. Um, and also, when I have the time here and there, I will also be putting out a series of editorials that are similar to this section, or are my thoughts on um, social issues from a humanist perspective and through the lens of a Superman fan. But when I signed up for it, the editor said, okay, send us a byline explaining who you are and send us a photograph. And I'm like, oh no, I don't like taking photos of myself. Um, I'm not very good at it. Um, so, But I got my wife to help me and we went outside and we, Picked a nice backdrop, you know, and she made me stand up straight and wiped the crust off my face and fixed my hair <laughs> and uh, took my picture. And I was looking at it when I sent it to the editor. And even though I take good care of myself, I, like I said, I eat really healthy and I like working out when I have the time and the energy, it, the, the photograph was a reminder that I am, in fact, almost 48 years old. Um, cause I do live in Florida and even though I'm not out in the sun constantly, I you know, have to take my dog for a walk you know, four or five times a day. And so I've got little 
sunspots on my cheeks, which I don't love. And, and uh, I had a little bit, I'm trying to do the uh, like Tyler Hecklin five o'clock shadow and you could see some gray in that. And from where the, my hair poked out from under my hat, you could see a little bit of gray in that. And so it was, it was weird having that reminder because I don't feel that old. Um, I feel like I've said several times on the show better than I have in like a decade and a half. So I feel like I'm in my early thirties. I have a lot of energy. Um, I, a lot of the kind of aches and pains and problems with my blood pressure and because of the weight problem that I had for a while, those are all gone. And so I feel pretty good. So it was just weird seeing a visual reminder of my actual age. But the thing that was, and, and I should say, I, I don't mind getting old, honestly. Um, I think if I had some of the problems that I had a few years ago, it would really bother me. But because I'm in a, a good um, mental space and the fact that I am growing older with someone who has put up with me for almost 30 years now and is nice to talk to, um, I, I, I really don't mind. But what was weird about the photo was how much I looked like my father. And that's where I want to connect these two stories. Um, I've mentioned on the, on the show before, I'm not close with my father. My mother passed away last year. I wasn't particularly close with her either. Um, and he is, I would say, introverted to a fault. Um, and I would hazard to say that probably chronic depression runs in our family. Um, he said he, the things that he said about his father who died when I was like three, before I really had any memories of him, sounded like he probably had depression. My father acts like he has depression. I had depression for a while. Um, or I probably still had it, but it doesn't bother me anymore. Um, and so he, he's not always very pleasant to be around, which is one of the reasons we're not close. And he doesn't handle being alone well, but at the same time, he also doesn't want people really around him. So it makes for a really difficult, uh, relationship. Like he, he doesn't necessarily want to be alone. He wants people to be around him, but he doesn't people want people to interact with him, which is weird and awkward <laughs> and uncomfortable. And, you know, it, just the combination of, two, of those two things of how much I physically look like my father and the fact that I don't feel the same way about being alone that I used to, where it was very contradictory. Um, like I said, I, I used to enjoy being alone a lot and I would sometimes be resentful if my alone time got intruded upon. And as I got older and the more I realized I look like my father, um, how much I could see those things in myself that I saw in him. And that was part of the reason I started working on those things. And you know, my father is in his seventies now, and I, I do feel bad for him that he's never been able to get past those things. And that's one of the things I'm proudest of in my life. There are a lot of things I regret doing. There's a lot of things I regret not having done. Um, but you know, I, I have a you know, sizable list of things by now that I'm proud of. You know, I'm proud that I put my wife through college so that she could then turn around and, you know, do the work that she does now. And I'm 
proud that I've done a you know, good job of raising a, a happy child who seems to <laughs> think that I'm doing a pretty good job. But I'm, I'm also proud of myself for having moved past this cycle of depression and anger that seems to have run in my family. And that makes me appreciate my, my found family that much more. I've talked in the past on the show about how much I value the idea of found family. You know, specifically my wife and then you know, between the two of us, our child and how much they, they lift me up and they encourage me and they inspire me to do better. Um, like as far as working on myself, both for them and for me. And so I, I don't really have a, like a lesson here that I'm trying to pass on, but these are just my thoughts on this particular moment. And, you know, if, if you were someone out there that is struggling depression, struggling with depression and anxiety and anger issues, uh, you know, I'm not a counselor by any means, but I'm just saying that don't give up hope. There is a path through it. Sometimes that path can be difficult. Sometimes that path can be very uncomfortable because you have to face up to a lot of things that you may be you would rather avoid but when you face them it is easier to 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 move past them and it's it's possible to get better and if you know if you're struggling and you find someone to reach out to that can that can help you with those things in a professional manner and you know like i said if 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 it's a problem for you i i do Wish and hope the best for you because I want everyone to live their best life. So that's enough about that. Let us go talk about a comic book. And again, this for this special mini episode, we are talking about Justice Society of America, number 13, with a release date of February of 2008. Give me just a second to find the creatives here. They do, they write them kind of small. This is written by Jeff Johns and Alex Ross. Um, actually, it's a story by Jeff Johns and Alex Ross, written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Fernando Passarin. The inker is Richard Friend. The colorist is Alex Sinclair. The letters are Rob Lee. Um, the main cover is by Alex Ross. The alternate cover is by Dale Eaglesham and Andy Lanning. And um, it's not credited on here, but I think there are a few pages and panels that are original Alex Ross art and are not recreations. So that main cover is a recreation to a certain extent of one of the more iconic scenes from Kingdom Come where Superman returns to the public eye and he's floating above the ground to holding two are a few uh, hyper-violent vigilantes by their belts and looking down with disdain on the, on the crowd below. In this instance, it is the Superman of the main continuity, known as New Earth or Earth Zero at the time. Um, he's not holding anything, but the, the hands, the, the body postures, the hands, the faces, everything else is the same except for the coloring. And then we have the Superman of Earth-22, also known as the Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come Universe, 
looking up at our Superman in shock and surprise. And then around the two of them, we have headshots of various members of the Justice Society. We have Alan Scott, uh, Ted Grant, Wildcat, Power Girl, Mr. Terrific, Our Man, Hawkman, um, the Legion Starman, not, um, not Jack Knight, Stargirl, Damage, Citizen Steel, Liberty Bell, Dr. Midnight, Cyclone, uh, Ted's son, who is like a Wear Panther, also known as Wildcat, and um, Jay Garrick. And they're all looking with uh, various degrees of concern at the action going on. I've got to say, out of all these, Dr. Midnight looks the coolest. I've always liked this design, the Peter Cross, Dr. Midnight, and it's just a really sharp side profile. But in the alternate cover by Eaglesham is the two Superman fighting the Hercules of the DC Universe. And it is pretty awesome as well. So we get into it, and Stargirl Courtney Ross is showing Jakeem Thunder, the newest recruit uh, to the JSA around the Brownstone, helping him find uh, a new place and a new room to bunk in. And he wanders into the room that has been claimed by Black Lightning's daughter. And he obviously has a crush on her, and she's not allowed to touch electronics because she has electricity powers. And uh, he t she tells her to keep uh, her hands off the electronics, and he leans into J to Jakeem and tells him to keep his hands off of his daughter. Now, Jakeem is interesting. Um, he is a character that was originally introduced uh, in Kingdom Come, and I don't remember him having a lot of play inside the book but those covers that had the group shots of all the characters I remember he specifically was one of the ones that was listed there um, ironically enough despite the fact that this title brought a bunch of um, new earth or earth zero versions of kingdom come characters into the main continuity uh, Jakeem was actually introduced in uh, Grant Morrison's JLA. So that was interesting. Um, from there, we go to where Dr. Midnight is examining the new Mr. America, uh, who has come to t uh, tell them about a series of superhuman murders. And with the two of them is Liberty Bell, Our Man, and Mr. Terrific. Now, Mr. America is an FBI or former FBI agent who was recently fired. He's also a profiler. His former partner was the previous Mr. America, and that Mr. America and his entire family were killed by a bunch of neo-Nazi supervillains called the Fourth Reich, who were going around targeting um, Justice Society members and their legacies uh, at the behest of Vandal Savage. And this guy, this Mr. America, has found all these superhumans murdered who are trying to pass themselves off as demigods. And I gotta admit, if, if Mr. America was a character that I had read about when I was a kid, like between 8 and 10, I would have been all about it. His costume looks really cool. It's very simple. It's a pair of blue pants, it's a white button-down shirt with um, 
kind of like blue bracers around the wrist and then a red cape with a blue collar with with a single white star on each one and then a blue domino mask and that's it it's a very simple costume when i was a kid i really liked characters or i like the costumes of characters who had kind of a patriotic america theme like the spirit of 76 and the patriot and of course captain america and i would have really liked him because i when i was a kid i also liked non-powered characters um just because I thought it was more fun and believable to pretend to be a non-powered character. Um, and here's what I don't like about him. His weapon is a pair of whips. Now, as a kid, that would not have bothered me because my main exposure to whips was Indiana Jones. But having a character who is representing America and having his signature weapon be a whip is a is a bad look it is very tone deaf it's it feels like leaning into the idea of using whips is what america is all about Ugh. not great but it is a cool look um i don't necessarily like his portrayal in this he is a very brutal vigilante um he, in the previous issue, it had talked about he had tracked down a child molester and had broken the guy's spine. Like, he dragged him up and down a pair of stairs until the guy would probably never be able to walk again. I'm not saying that perpetrator probably didn't deserve that. But, you know, being a Superman aficionado, uh, that is not how I want um, costume crime fighters to behave. So, you know, take him to justice. You know, don't be, don't be super brutal about it. Um, and he's explaining all of what's going on. And he says that uh, he encountered the, the murderer, the serial killer, who's been hunting down these various metahumans. And, um, and he says, we're posing with someone overtaken by a messianic complex. He believes his purpose in life is to destroy false gods. And this guy was a profiler in the FBI. And uh, one of the people there off panel says, and you saw what the papers are calling him, the heartbreak slayer. And he says, I tried to stop him. Guess what? Power staff beats whip. And that's why Mr. America is all beat up. He's got some third degree burns. He's got some bruised ribs. He's got some minor fractures, um, and uh, he, he ran afoul of this person with a power staff. And Mr. America says, when I escaped, I heard him yell, it's in the name of God. As it echoed through the tunnels, I realized this maniac wasn't saying God. He was saying Gog. And um, they, uh, our man in Liberty Bell found the word Gog, Gog carved in a pillar at one of the other killings. And Mr. America says, does that mean, does Gog mean anything to you? And uh, Kingdom Come Superman walks in with Power Girl and says, it means a lot. Now, those of you that have read Kingdom Come, which I assuming is the majority of you, um, may be saying, wait a minute, Gog. I thought it was Magog or Magog. I don't know how to pronounce it. And you would be right, but there was a Gog in main DC continuity in the late 90s, uh, banking off of the popularity of Kingdom Come, 
DC did a a three-part miniseries called The Kingdom in the late 90s where a guy from the the present um, got a glimpse of the future that the potential future that was Kingdom Come. Now remember at the time that this came out there was only one Earth there the multiverse hadn't come back yet and so Kingdom Come was a possible future for the main universe is a rather bleak future which we'll talk about in a little bit if you are not familiar with it if you haven't read kingdom come you should it's really really good but this guy got this but this guy a missionary in africa got a vision of this future that was kingdom come and he decided that superman was the fault for all of it and so Gaining incredible power and time, including time travel abilities, he began going through hypertime, um, which was Mark Wade's shortcut for there not being alternate realities, and killing Superman at different points in the future, working his way back to the present. And his design was very similar to that of Magog. And it's a, basically a big, strong dude wearing brown pants and gold boots and gold bracers and a gold kind of chest plate and a golden helmet with curling ram's horns. And, uh, uh, and Superman, or Kingdom Come Superman, Earth-22 Superman, says it's similar to the, to the, to the outfit worn by Magog. And Dr. Midnight goes out, goes on about how there's been different uh, references to Gog and Magog in different mythologies and legends and religious texts, including the Bible. Um, they don't really make, they don't mean anything to me, so I'm not going to try to expound upon it. Um, sorry. There is a... Um, uh, Dr. Midnight quotes a passage from the Bible, and it says, When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And he explains this a reference to two countries that go to war, and because of that war, the earth is destroyed. And... Um, Basically, what uh, Earth-22 Superman says is that he believes that this Gog is the precursor to Magog, and so that he will pass on the mantle, and whoever receives the mantle will become this Earth's version of Magog from his universe. And we'll talk about Magog in just a moment, because I do have a lot to say about Magog. But Earth-22 Superman says he is going to go talk to our Superman and figure out exactly what is going on. So he leaves New York, where the JSA Brownstone is, and he heads to Metropolis. And he hovers outside of the Daily Planet, looking in with his X-ray vision and listening with his super hearing. And he's seeing, you know, shenanigans with... With Jimmy Olsen trying to get a raise from Perry White and Perry saying, okay, you'll get a raise next next month, but you better be double quick time with the coffee. And he's, he, you know, Earth-22 Superman is kind of chuckling to, to, to himself. And then Earth-22 Superman is kind of stunned 
when he sees Lois after his Lois, uh, after missing his Lois for so long. But then our Superman looks out the window and sees him. And we see where Earth-22 Superman has a flashback to his time where he's flying to the planet and the upper floor is surrounded by green gas and he goes inside and finds that the entire Daily Planet staff, including Lois, has been killed by Joker gas. And we see that in, in this time, this was an older Superman who still had the long hair pulled back into a ponytail because remember when Kingdom Come came out in 1995? I don't remember if it was 1995 or early 96, but it was definitely after Reign of the Superman and before the wedding. So uh, main continuity Superman would have still had long hair at the time and Alex Ross did include that. And again, I don't know if these three panels by Ross are directly lifted from Kingdom Come because I have not read it in a long time. Uh, or if they're new, but they are stunning nonetheless. And um, that is where our Superman confronts him. And we get Dale Eaglesham's interpretation of the image on the cover with our Superman floating above Earth-22 Superman saying, why are you spying on my wife? And the contrast in the colors between these two characters' outfits is stunning. Uh, our Superman has the bright blue, has the bold red on the boots and the trunks and the S symbol and the cape and the belt and the background of the S symbol are both in yellow. And Earth-22 Superman's blue of his costume is almost gray. The boots, trunks and cape and S symbol are so dark they're almost maroon. And then the belt and the background of the S are black. So there's a Superman who is definitely in mourning. And so um, they, they Earth-22 Superman apologizes. He says, you know, I, I just want to go look for you. I, you know, I, I didn't mean to spy on your wife and your friends. It was, it's just a lot. And so our Superman tells Earth-22 about the incident with Gog. Now, I have to say, if you haven't read The Kingdom, I don't particularly like it. Um, if I tried, I, I read it last year for the first time. It's it's not my favorite. I believe it's written by Mark Wade, and I usually like everything that he does or most of what he does, but I just could not get into that. Um, but they sit down on the on the the um, the globe of the planet and. Um, Earth-22 Superman tells him about the future of his Earth, about how the Daily Planet staff, including Lois, were killed by the Joker, how, how that Superman apprehended the Joker, and then on the way to trial, um, Magog murders the Joker, and how um, Superman then arrested Magog. Magog was acquitted by a jury, and the general public took Magog's side on that. And then emboldened by, by Magog's actions, it gave rise to a new generation of hyper-violent vigilantes. Now, this is what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> if you haven't read Kingdom Come, again, you should. But this is very much Mark Wade's criticism of early 90s superhero comics. Um, 
and probably specifically Cable because Magog is very much a a satire of Cable. He's a tall, very muscular white guy, older, white hair. One of his arms looks completely cybernetic, only it's like those gold bands instead of silver. He has a scar on his face. He has bandoliers and straps and pouches and stuff. Um, only instead of a gun, he's carrying a big energy staff. And um, what's ironic is that by the time Kingdom came out, Kingdom Come came out, Marvel had started taking Cable in a different direction. If you don't know, I am, I am a fan of kind of mid mid to late 90s Cable, starting in like 1994, when Fabian Nicieza really took over X-Force and Cable had his own ongoing series. I really liked that era, and that was there where they'd moved away from Cable having big guns and being... When Cable was first introduced, he was pretty much supposed to be Rob Liefeld's idea of what Dark Knight Returns Batman would be like after he gave up being Batman. There's even um, there's even a, one of the panels of Cable's earliest appearances in New Mutants where it's almost a direct lift from a panel in Dark Knight Returns where Bruce doesn't have the costume on and he has a, his arm in this kind of bionic cast, right? And so... Um, by this point in mainstream Marvel comics, Marvel had taken uh, Cable in a different direction. He was a more compassionate character. He was more of an adventurer than a soldier. He used his, his mutant powers more than he used big guns. When he did use guns, they were kind of smaller laser pistols. And I really like that era of Cable a lot. And But I think it's a valid criticism to say that the rise of hyper-violent vigilantes and in mainstream comics followed the introduction of Cable. And um, I would say, you know, some of it is also because of characters like Venom and things like that. But, you know, you have a lot of ripoff, you have a lot of, no, uh, yeah, characters even in Marvel and DC that were kind of ripping off that, that extreme edge. And then you had characters over in Image Comics like Spawn and Youngblood and some of the characters from Wildcats and, and Stormwatch and things like that that seem to be less about being heroic than about fighting. <laughs> and that's what the hyper-violent vigilantes of Kingdom Come are all about. And so I think it's a, a really clever use of the, of the medium to criticize the medium. Because I think at this point, a lot of people had kind of, a lot of comic book fans had kind of written off Superman. And this was with Mark Wade saying, okay, fine, you want Superman to go away. This is what would happen to the industry if Superman and all the other traditional her heroes were to leave. The industry would be completely taken over by this, this surge of hyper-violent characters until the industry would just eat itself. And it came very close to doing just that. I think 1996 is when Heroes Reborn happened, and I think that was kind of the tipping point. The people said, okay, too, too much imagification of the big two. Let's take it the other direction. And that's when, you know, 97 is when uh, Morrison's JLA happened and when Heroes Return happened over at Marvel and things like that. And we saw the industry start to turn around. 
you know, you could argue that the, the early 2000s were kind of wobbly uh, for both of the two big companies, but still, it was a it was a period of regrowth, I would like to say. And so, um, uh, and again, Earth 22 Superman says that if this is the Gog that you fought. Uh, again, in what would have been the, the late 90s, publication-wise, in 10 years from now, he will beget Magog. And so as they're sitting there talking, they hear, uh, they hear fighting, they hear an argument, they hear someone saying, I am a god, skin the Nemean lion, and I will skin you, cannot hurt this god so easily. And so uh, the two of them take off flying, and here we have... DC's version of Hercules. Now, I love Marvel's version of Hercules. He's a big goofball who um, probably thinks with his beer mug more than he thinks with his head. But I, th I think he's kind of a lovable goof. And I would honestly love for Terry Crews to play Hercules in the MCU because we've already seen you know, where the Norse gods can be black and Asian and what have you. There's no reason Hercules can't be a huge black guy. And I think Terry Crews would be awesome because he, he's huge, he's intimidating, but he's also very funny. And I think that would be great. And I've been saying this for years now. But they get there just as Hercules... Oh, wait, I should back up. I hate DC's version of Hercules. He's supposed to be despicable. He... Um, I, and it was in the uh, George Perez relaunch of Wonder Woman in the late 80s where they said he's, he's basically a rapist. So he's, he's a total scumbag and he's just a braggart and uh, he, he's very unlikable. But as they get to this museum where Hercules is fighting someone, Hercules is blasted in the chest out through the wall. The two supermen go flying down. They see Hercules half-conscious. He has this huge burn on his chest. But then Hercules wakes up and smacks our Superman in the nose. Uh, it makes our Superman bleed a little. Um, <laughs> Hercules says, you dare touch me, Superman? And Superman says, I plan on washing my hands afterwards. And uh, Hercules punches our Superman, which sends him flying, and he smacks into a wall. And then, he, but then he runs at Earth Twenty Two Superman. He says, "I am Hercules," and hits him. And our Superman doesn't even blink. We see his cape go flying from, you know, fluttering from the force of the blow, and there's a huge crack. But Superman is completely unaffected. And. Superman says, I know who you are, Hercules, but your actions against Hippolyta and the Amazon speak louder than your 12 labors. And then Hercules swings a blow. Superman catches it in his fist. And Superman says, so do mine. And then he just he grabs Hercules' uh, like lion cloak and then backhands him, which, which rips the cloak off and sends Hercules flying into the arms of our Superman who smashes him into a, a lion statue and knocks him out. But uh, with Hercules out of the way, they, uh, the two Supermen regroup and Earth-22 says, I see him, Gog's still inside. They go flying in just as Gog teleports away in a 
uh, aura of purple Kirby Crackle. And uh, they say they teleported out. Earth-22 says there are some traces of volcanic ash. I can't identify it, but I'm sure the Justice Society will. And so from there, we go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And we see down inside a cave, uh, we hear Gog speaking out loud. It says, the gods walk the world. No, the gods who walk the world will not save it. I will blow their hearts from their chests. I will pave way for the return of Earth's only savior in these terrible times. And then we see Gog kneeling down on the ground in front of a giant purple face with a kind of soul gem looking thing embedded in his forehead. And the face is, is embedded in a wall inside this cave. And Gog is kneeling down saying, in the name of Gog, there will be no others. And that is it. And this issue is awesome. I love this so much. I love the meeting of the two different supermen. I love the contrast between the two of them. I I like having an excuse to talk about cable <laughs> for a couple minutes. Um, like I said, I I had fun talking about why I my naive, innocent little summer child self would have not seen a problem with Mr. America's whips, and I would have thought he was a cool character. You know what would be neat? Since he's kind of revolutionary war themed, if they took away the whips and if they gave him like special weapons that were designed by Mr. Terrific that kind of looked like uh, like revolutionary era single shot pistols, that would be that would be cool. That would be fun. They could shoot like you know explosion darts or something. Who knows? I don't know. I'm I'm thinking too hard about this. That's what I would have. That's how I would have replayed it if I was a kid. Um, I like that this arc makes Earth-22 Superman not a bad guy. Because in recent years, I would say most prominently during Convergence, Kingdom Kingdom Come Superman is an authoritarian villain. And yes, I, I recognize that in Kingdom Come, he takes authoritarian measures. I've never read his actions in that series as being villainous, so I see them as misguided, and I see them as the actions of someone who is given up on, you know, has lost his faith in humanity, and um, is so overwhelmed by the prevalence of these hyperviolent vigilantes that he doesn't know what else to do except to lock them away to keep the rest of the world safe from them because he doesn't condone killing them, but he needs to. And, you know, I, I like that towards the end of it, there is kind of a, a solution that is more about uh, redemption and about rehabilitation than it is incarceration, which is, you know, really cool. And this Superman, by the way, the way this is written is that at the moment of the nuclear explosion at the end of Kingdom Come, that is what somehow in conjunction with this Starman's gravity powers brought him, creating a black hole, brought him to Earth Zero. So really fun story. Um, my only thing I don't like about it is that Dale Eaglesham did not do the interior art on this. I thought the art was fine. I thought it was really good. I love Dale Eaglesham's art in this issue. And um, especially when he draws 
uh, female characters who are supposed to be muscular, like Wonder Woman and Power Girl. He makes them look great. Their proportions are all excellent. They don't look garish. They don't look what a, um, like, a, not to speak ill of the dead, but like a Michael Turner type artist who draws women with like tiny waists and giant boobs and, and stick them out butts. You know, he, he makes them look like solid, imposing and attractive characters. But nonetheless, this story is excellent. If you haven't read this entire arc, which is called Thy Kingdom Come in uh, 2000, late 2007, early 2008, Justice Society of America, I highly recommend you do so. But as that is the end of the issue, I'm going to take a short break and I will be back to wrap everything right up. And that about does it for this mini episode, episode 21 of the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast. As I said during the Fortress segment, I am now collaborating with the DailyPlanetDC.com news site. And uh, they do have an audio section, which has several other podcasters listed there. I wanted to read those off to you so you can check them out. We have the All-Star Superfan Podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, Digging for Kryptonite, The Krypton Report, Last Sons of Krypton, Superboy, The Legacy Podcast, Superman, The Animated Podcast, The Expiring Crypt- the Aspiring Kryptonians, The Podcast of Steel, and the Earth-16 Comics Wire Podcast. If you are a Superman fan, you should definitely check those out. Um, circling back around, if you are enjoying this show, you can follow me on Twitter at about Superman for my various Superman thoughts and musings. I have also been posting a lot about the reboot era Legion of Superheroes. Also, once I finish reading final, once I start Final Crisis very shortly and finish it, um, expect quite a bit of uh, Barry Allen uh, centric. Uh, tweets coming out as well. But of course, the main theme of the Twitter account is always Superman. Also, if you are enjoying the show and if you would like to support my efforts, I would invite you to plug your ears so that you don't have to hear the sounds of my device making ping noises because I didn't mute them. Sorry about that. But anyway, I would invite you to visit my Patreon at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. Uh, You can support the show financially that way. You can show your, that you like what I'm doing. And as, um, as a gift to those who donate to the show, I have now four episodes up. Yeah. Um, On that where I've been covering my favorite Superman stories so far from the late 80s. Uh, Right now I have the Pocket Universe Superboy saga, the Supergirl saga in parts one and two of Superman in Exile. Next I'm going to be covering the Brainiac trilogy, which I love. And technically I think that also came out in 89. So we're not out of the 80s yet, but we're getting there. And we're definitely getting into more of an early 90s feel of Superman comics on that feed. So uh, check it out. Tell your friends. Um, Tell Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, 
Um, sorry, that's a that's an inside joke. There's a podcast I listen to called uh, Tighten Up the Defense, and they're always saying, you know, well, who can you tell about this show? And I always write in and say, you should tell Senator Ted Cruz. I don't know why. I just think it's funny. Don't don't tell Ted Cruz. I don't want him listening to my show. <laughs> so anyway, um, anyway, um, I'll be back next week. Um, I don't think I have any pressing events that will uh, conflict my schedule. Uh, we should be back into the regular reading rotation with the comic books that came out September 21st of 2016. I think I'm going to just uh, confine those episodes that have to do with uh, current titles to just World's Finest for now. Um, I, I got the recent uh, issue of Son of Kal-El, and I, I think I'm going to wait until this whole story arc with Henry Bendix and Gamora and all that is uh is wrapped up before i jump onto that book um but once the dark crisis and and death of the justice league and all that comes out i'll probably talk about it on the show but that is it and until i see you again remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart love you